everyone, and welcome back to Becoming Your Best Version. I am so excited to have with us today a former uh, co-law student at the University of Virginia Law School. She was a year ahead of me. I looked up to her <laughs> and our paths crossed again recently. She is doing some very cool stuff, pivoting during COVID and starting this really wild, wonderful project, which you can read about at whoweareNow.us. She uh, didn't know what she was going to do when uh, at the beginning of January, 2020, she had a job she loved. She lived in a house she adored. Her youngest was in her senior year of high school. But later that year, she had none of those things and her daughter had gone off to college. So instead of being afraid, Michelle leaned into the moment and created a version of herself that had been lying dormant for years. She moved into her motor home in September and traveled 12,000 miles all over America, interviewing people about their lives during the pandemic. One of those interviewees was me. <laughs> Her project called Who We Are Now will be published by UNC Press in 2022. After she submits the manuscript this summer, she'll be headed off again all over America for her next book. This is a woman with a lot of energy and she has found the best version of herself. Before launching this project, she, Michelle, had been a public relations and partnership director for national nonprofits, a homeschool teacher, a newspaper columnist, and an international corporate lawyer. So again, check out whoweareNow.us because this woman has a fabulous story, really great things she's putting out into the world. And I am really privileged to call her my friend. Welcome, Michelle. Hi, Maria. Thank you for having me here. This is going to be fun. Yes, yes. So Michelle's mission is centered around the idea that everyone has a story. So just to get us started, what is your story? And what about your story prompted you to take on this project? Well, my story started off very traditionally uh, with what we all are sort of brought up to do, a mainstream family, two parents, two kids, public school, good college, good law school, went off to be a lawyer, did that for a decade, uh, then had the fortune to be able to choose to stay at home with my kids as they were growing up and and homeschool them for a bunch of years. And then um, I started to slowly wade back into having a job, which is really um, was a surprise how hard it is um, to mm -hmm. do that uh, after you've spent a lot of years out of the workforce. Um, but I did it and I was enjoying being a public relations a, a professional for invention education nonprofits and entrepreneurship education nonprofits. But then everything went to hell in a handbasket in, <laughs> 20, <laughs> in 2020. And when I lost my job in the COVID spring, I submitted 86 customized cover letters. But by the middle of July, I didn't have a job. Oh, and, oh. and the lease on my post-divorce house was up at the end of July. And my daughter's going off to college. And 
to, I got to tell you, Maria, to be 57 years old and, and have, you know, a law degree. And I used to jet around in a, you know, first class all over the world. I had an entire closet full of black tie dresses to go from all that to, I don't have a house. I don't have a job and I'm an empty, a single empty nester, uh, was kind of, well, it was very destabilizing. Yes, I can imagine. But you mentioned something that I haven't focused on before. Why did you choose to homeschool? Oh, well, that's a whole nother story. We can do that a different day. Oh, um, but uh, no, 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 but I'll do it quickly. So my oldest child um, is um, an inventor. Oh. And when she was in kindergarten at the first parent-teacher conference, the kindergarten teacher told me they could not meet her needs in the classroom. Oh, okay. <laughs> and that I needed to homeschool my kid. And okay. so I did. Um, and yeah, so that's how I, home why I homeschooled. But the cool thing about homeschooling, and so they, this sort of connects the two dots, which is that, so in the summer of 2020, when I didn't have a home and then no job and no kid underfoot anymore, the only thing I had was my motorhome, which I had bought in 2006 after that kindergarten teacher told me that I needed to homeschool my kid. So I bought that motorhome in 2006 because my parents had given up the country club life and they were tooling around in their motorhome and they did it for seven years through, then they lived in national and state parks. And so that's what I do with, with, with my kids. When, when uh, I was told to homeschool, we got a motorhome and we traveled around the country with my parents for 10 months. Wow. And, so, and so then in so 2020, when I move into the motorhome and I think, well, what am I going to do with it? And I thought, well, I'll travel around and see how people are doing during the pandemic and I'll make a project out of it. And then I'll show the project to people and they'll say, oh, you're so wonderful. We'll hire you. So <laughs> that, that was, that was the plan. Um, and um, the first place I decided I would drive out to was Yellowstone because driving to Yellowstone to me, for me, is like going to the grocery store. I've, get, I've driven out to Yellowstone. So I, <laughs> you, you, guys, you guys at home cannot see what Maria's face just did because this is all audio, but her eyes just like tripled in size. But I'm not saying, I mean, I like know the road from Chapel Hill to Yellowstone, like the back of my hand. Wow. I've just been out there so many times in the motorhome. So I thought, where should I go? Oh, I'll just go to Yellowstone. <laughs> and, and um, but along the way, I never made it to Yellowstone. And I'll tell you why. The trip became so much about America's other treasures. So one of our treasures is our, 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 our natural resources, right? Our beautiful parks, et cetera. The other is our people. And by the time I got out to Wyoming, I was so fascinated by the regular people I was meeting, the extraordinary regular people I was meeting that my focus had completely shifted. And I thought, I'll see you another time, Yellowstone. And I just kept interviewing people. And again, this morning, uh, and your, 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 your listeners don't know this, but uh, we put off doing this podcast, right, for, for a half an hour because I had run into yet another um, person and I'm kind of addicted right now. Um, and so I, what I, the, latent, the latent part of me, the dormant part of me that I did not know existed until all this happened was I love 
meeting people and asking them their stories. Do not ask me to go to a cocktail party where it's like give and take and this and that and this and that. But I will happily ask a person a single question about their life and sit in complete silence for 40 minutes and be so happy. And so that's, so this book, Who We Are Now, What We Lost and Found During the Pandemic is is just an outgrowth of what I've now found out I want to do for the rest of my life, which is interview people and share out their stories. Oh, I love it. Wow. 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 So tell me one or two of the best stories you've heard or witnessed. One or two of the best. And that's so hard. I know. Like your babies. Can you pick? My baby. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Don't ask me to choose. Um, <laughs> So one, one story that fascinates particularly uh, women is there's a gentleman by the name of Caleb Dixon who lives in Valdosta, Georgia, and he is a student at Valdosta State University. I interviewed him because in the COVID spring, he started a mobile axe throwing company. <laughs> yeah, her, her. Maria's eyes did that again, you guys. Um, <laughs> so it's basically it's basically a trailer with a cage over the top of it. And at the end of the cage is a big ply piece of plywood with X's on it. And you throw axes at it. And so because it was mobile, he didn't have to worry about COVID. And because nobody wants to be around a novice when they're throwing an ax, it was you know, <laughs> naturally self-distanced. <laughs> and what was really funny was he said, you know, Michelle, there were a lot of women coming in this summer and, and like a lot of women. And he said, and you, you know what? They're better at throwing axes than men are. He said, I just don't know if it's just that they have more frustration and rage or they listen. <laughs> He's like, you know, the kids and the husbands were at home for a long time in the spring. That oh, They God. just had a lot of frustration and rage to express. So that was a fun one. Oh, that is priceless. I love it. I love it. And then on the opposite side of the spectrum, there was a gentleman I interviewed in New York City who he and his wife both got COVID at the same time and they did not want to go to risk having to go to the hospital because they had two young kids and they didn't want to ask their parents to come in and take care of them because the parents are significantly older, obviously. And so um, imagine lying in your bed in New York City and he said, literally, there were like 10 sirens every hour, 24 seven. Wow. And there was no sound from the streets because nobody was allowed to drive around and stuff. So you're lying in there, you, 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 you're having a hard time breathing and you don't know if you're gonna be the next siren. Multiple times over two weeks, he dialed nine one and then said to himself, if this doesn't get better, in 10 minutes, I'll dial the last one, oh. which he never had to do. Wow. Wow. That is fascinating. And that's yeah. the tip of the iceberg, folks. That, that uh, <laughs> I have heard some of her other stories. Uh, and wow, that's all I can say. You have uncovered somehow some of the most compelling stories I've ever heard. 
and I applaud you in really searching for some stories that will make a difference for anyone well, to know about. And, and the thing is the reporters do a great job, but one thing about when you read an article is the majority of the article is the reporter telling their perspective in their words. Yes. And then they, and then they pepper it with the quotes uh -huh. from the person, but yeah. you don't get to hear directly from that person. And there's so much power in just hearing a person's story without a filter, without some, a narrator. And that's what I do and who we are now. I mean, who we are now, it's on, we have over a hundred stories on the website right now, whowearenow.us. Cool. It's also on Instagram, who we are now, USA and Facebook. So a hundred, over a hundred stories. And then there'll be a, a hundred stories in the book and I'll continue updating the website. I think you could do a South American edition, a European edition. Uh, you go, girl. I, 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 I really love it. And you know, you know that book, Who Moved My Cheese? Yes, I do. Okay. So uh, when everything was, was turned completely upside down for me last summer, I thought about that book. Yes. And I thought, okay, my cheese has been moved. And I need to go and figure out how to find a new cheese and do we have a couple of seconds for me to um explain what that what that concept is? oh yeah yes okay please. so who moved my cheese was a book from the 80s or 90s and this was the premise um as of course a metaphor but you've got two mice and every single day they run through a maze to get to a certain little part of the maze and they get their cheese and they become very 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 good at running through the maze they're super quick and every day they get their cheese. Well, one of these days they get there, there's no cheese. And they're like, what's up with that? So then they leave hungry, they come back, no cheese. This happens for several days. And finally, one of the mice says, uh, I don't think the cheese is coming back. And I'm gonna go and take out for other parts of the maze and see if I can find some more cheese. Now, chances are it's not gonna be the same cheese probably going to be a different cheese but maybe I'll even like it better I don't know so I'm going you coming with me and the other mouse says no fam thanks I'm gonna sit here <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I think it's coming back um and of course the cheese doesn't come back so so the you know obviously that was a metaphor for when 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 something in your life changes there has to be that moment where you say I'm not going to sit here and just expect everything to go back to the way it was. I have to go out in search of something new. And so I love that phrase, who, that book, Who Moved My Cheese? But then last week, somebody asked me, um, Michelle, if you could do a bumper sticker, well, what would you put on that bumper sticker? And I said, without even thinking, please move my cheese. Oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah. What a lesson for all of us that I, for one, need to be reminded of frequently that um, kind of the, the safety of the gray sameness that is offered if we want to just remain stagnant, where we can live in technicolor if we move our cheese or pursue what may have moved Archie's, however you well, want to do and, and in becoming the best version of yourself. Yes. 
I think if we all, no matter how old somebody is who's listening to this, I think everybody recognizes that if I hadn't had these moments of challenges, if I hadn't had these moments of sadness or having to make changes or loss or opportunity, if I hadn't had change, I wouldn't be able to be anywhere close to the best version of myself, right? And yeah. so so the, the please move my cheese kind of leans in beautifully to, you know, the best version of, of yourself podcast, because I don't think you can ever be the best version of yourself unless you faced adversity. Agreed. I completely agree with that. And uh, talking about moving your cheese, like who leaves suburbia and lives in a motorhome <laughs> for the rest, motorhome. Of the rest of her time? So tell us a little about that. What is it like to live in a house that moves? <laughs> well, it's, um, it's, you know, sometimes uh, you get a flat tire in your house that moves. Yeah. Or, um, but it's... um. It's very cozy, you know, tiny houses are all the rage and yeah. I just happen to have a tiny house on wheels. Yes. And when I think of, do I really want to have it? Would I ever want to have a tiny house in one place? That's when I like start to hyperventilate and think, oh my gosh, I could not live a life in a tiny house in one, just one place, just one place. <laughs> uh, Can't do it, right? right? But a tiny house and wherever you want to be, that's, that's a lot of fun. Um, I'm very comfortable in here. I have, uh, I have, let's see, two queen size beds. I have a sofa that turns into a twin. I have a dinette that turns into a full um, oven, stove, microwave, full refrigerator, shower, bathroom, and tons of storage. Wow. I mean, it's real, and it's, it, you know, propane heat and, um, it's really very cozy and meets all my needs. And, yeah. and and I've got some photos of it up on the website, I believe, and also on Insta. Wow. All right. Check that out. Uh, what is your account called on Instagram? Oh, so my personal account is just Michelle Fishburne. So which is M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E Fishburne, which is F-I-S-H-B-U-R-N-E. And that has the photos from behind the scenes of uh, who we are now. Excellent, excellent. Um, so tell me, what's been the best part about connecting with so many Americans from so many different backgrounds? When I headed out in September, 2020, and this was pre-election, obviously, I did not know what I was going to find. And I didn't know if the country that I thought I knew had gotten, I don't know, was no longer the country that I knew. I didn't know if it was a mean country or a like divided all the time country. I didn't know. And when I went out, what I found was, yeah, it's the country I know. And when you talk to people, when you meet people for the first time and you ask them how they're doing, they don't talk about politics. They don't talk about the election. They don't talk about masks. They talk about their families, their community, their friends, their businesses, their hopes, their dreams. And um, I've had so many people say to me after I've interviewed them, how's everybody else doing out there? Like they really want to know. Mm -hmm. And for example, I was out in the middle of Texas and a cattle rancher from Alpine, Texas said to me, what are you finding? How are people doing? He said, actually, 
really specifically, have you talked to any restaurant owners in New York City? I'm really worried about them. Wow. And I said, yeah, as a matter of fact, on the way here, I talked to a restaurant owner in New York City. He's not doing well because he's not able to have anybody sit down in his restaurant and he's really hurting. And he said, God, I, I'm, I'm really sad to hear that. I, I, I've, just, I've just been thinking about them a lot. And that sense of thinking about others um, is just a beautiful part of what I found is that we all slowed down enough to look around in a quiet way, not in a do-gooder way, but in a quiet way to think about each other. And that has been really neat to see. And so many people have said to me, you know, I kind of wish we didn't have the media because I think they're just whipping us up against each other. And I wish we could just go back to being a community. Now, obviously we do have challenges in our country and we can't just ignore those. But that, 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 that sense that somehow we're being used for profit um, by the media companies um, so that we, they can put us in a boxing ring and, and sell more tickets, you know, is something that people are concerned about. Interesting, interesting. Um, so then based on your work, what advice would you give to Americans on handling life as we begin to see the end of the tunnel and start getting back a semblance of normalcy in life. Do you have any special insight you might offer? I think hold on to what we learned during the pandemic that when we think about each other and we see each other, that that adds a dimension to our lives that is really enriching. And I hope we don't get back to such a fast paced life again that the majority of us forget how to do that. Oh, that is a wonderful lesson. Um, so what have you learned, if anything, about diversity in America, its value or its significance? Has that arisen as a, a theme or uh, given you a particular insight as you've touched base with so, people from so many walks of life? I, um, <laughs> I know that when people have um, tried, made, you know, when I've pitched people about, would you be willing to do an interview for who we are now? And they've looked at the website. I've had many people comment saying, I just was so amazed that your website was so diverse, that you've talked to so many different kinds of people. And so my takeaway from that was, why would you be surprised? Like, I don't understand how um, not just delighting in every single kind of person isn't something that we, we all want to do. And is so, it the melting pot? I mean, isn't America pretty diverse? <laughs> America is pretty diverse. Um, and, and also the, the interesting thing is below the diversity that you see on the surface. Yes. Is complexity, always complexity. And so I'm not gonna call out this one particular example because it may be too obvious, but there is somebody who I interviewed who I was rock solid sure had voted differently than me or was intending to vote differently than me in the election. Uh, Cause I judged the book by its cover, even after I interviewed the person. 
Wow. And and that person's friend who I also interviewed later said, I bet you think you know who so-and-so is going to vote for. And I said, yeah, I, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he said, and you would be wrong. And that really caught my breath. And he said, the reason why, and then he told me. And so time and time again, um, I think that, and, and recently my, my daughter and I just went out to the North Carolina mountains and we, um, and we're from a more progressive area. And we met a whole bunch of people who, you know, you sit there and you think, oh, do you think like me? And, and then you realize, number one, thank goodness, not every, we all don't all think together the same way because life would be so boring. And number two, the, the, the common humanity was just, was just there instantly. And my daughter looked at me and she's like, wow. So it was another example of, we are diverse. And even in our diversity, we're diverse. Oh yeah, that is true. Wow. Do you think that people, or how do you respond to the notion that people in the future might look back on your work to understand what it was like to live at this time? You're it a historian is, now. I know. It's, it, when I thought I was just doing a project, like I said at the beginning of, of our discussion, um, and then somebody said to me, um, Michelle, don't you realize you're doing an oral history and that this is important for the future? And I was like, Oh, oh, <laughs> I, I guess you're right. <laughs> so it wasn't intentional. Um, but no, I think it's very exciting to know that in 2050, 100 years, when people are looking back on the pandemic of 2021, that uh, they'll say, oh, yeah, but did you look at the Fishburn work? Did you look at the Fishburn stories? And and that's pretty exciting to 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 know is that I, I've done something. I mean, Yes, I was an international trade attorney um, and, and, and at a very, very big firm. And I guess that's impressive, but I wasn't very impressed with that. I know you probably also you know, can, can feel that, Maria. Um, I feel like this is the most, other than having kids or raising my kids, I feel like this is the most consequential thing I've done in my life. And I'm just so glad my cheese got moved or else I never would have done something that really, really mattered. Oh, that is so beautiful. Well, because you've heard from a diversity of people, would you say that the best version of oneself looks different for everyone? And how so? Did, and did your experience form your opinion or change your opinion as you learned about people's pivots and changes that they made in their lives because this was kind of a jolt for many of us to wake up? So hold on for a second, because <laughs> I was going to go one way with the question, and then you, you pivoted on me in the yeah. question. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, repeat what part of the question you want me to answer. Right, right. I'm sorry. Okay, so first of all, would you say that one's best version, how does it look different for each person? So, you know, this goes to the reason why I was late to do this podcast with you today. I just interviewed a guy named Joe who grew up homeless. And when he was 18, he came up with a really good idea for a business and he never has to work another day in his life. And I said to him today, 
at the end of our discussion, and by the way, he is working as a janitor, as a caretaker, as a cook, as um, like a hotel concierge at um, a, a set of houses here at UNC where people come and to live for four years while they're in med school, okay? So he doesn't have to work another day in his life, but he does every day. And when I said to him, to you, what is the American dream? Have you achieved it? And he said, oh, I achieved it so many more times over. He said, but I think the American dream is being able to do what you love. And for me, it has nothing to do with what I've accomplished money-wise. He said, for me, the American dream is just to be happy. And frankly, I would be happy again living in my truck. And he said, it's about being able to have the life you want to have. Mm. and pursue what matters to you. And so that's, that's you know, talk about the complexity, right? He feels like the best version of himself is when he is helping others. And he's been doing it ever since he was little. He's doing it now at the age of 55. And so he's had all these different unusual opportunities in life to help others. And he sort of sees them all as being consistent. I don't know if I've answered your question, but I think I kind of have. I think you have. I think you have. Uh, the ultimate question for this podcast anyway is, what are you doing to become your best version? I, to be frank, I think my best version is somebody who, I don't, I can't say that I'm quote gifted, at doing interviews and really hearing people and seeing people and converting their their interviews into stories. But I know I love it and it seems to resonate with people. And, but at the same time, I keep submitting job applications for traditional jobs where I would be nine to five. And fortunately, because I have a strong group of friends like you, Maria, mm -hmm. um, uh, several people have said to me, what are you doing? You've become this best version of yourself. You know you have something to give. You know how you want to spend the rest of your life giving your talents. And you're ready to like throw them all away and go back to a job where you're not being able to do what you should be doing and what you want to do. And I'm like, yeah, because I feel like I need to have a paycheck and I need to have health care. And so I'm, I'm, I'm constantly doing self-talk right now to try to tell myself, stay the course. You found the best version of yourself, stay the course. And, and, and that my strength in doing that varies sometimes from moment to moment. Absolutely. What a great note to end on. And this woman is so fascinating and has seen so much that this could be a 10 hour broadcast. <laughs> We are going to end it here. We both have a number of other commitments today. So I just want to thank you for being on the show and for putting out so much positivity in the world and enabling us to see and learn from other people who are becoming their best versions. So thank you again. And we will see you next week for another show of someone telling us how to become our best versions. Bye everyone.